Good morning, Real Life Church. Um, if you have not met me yet, my name is Melanie. And yes, I am wearing a veil. For the sake of those who are listening online and don't get to see my splendid veil, which will have to come off because we're doing a little bit of video footage for the website. And as much as I love my veil, I don't want it captured for years that this is when you come to Real Life Church, what you're expecting is some veiled women um, to hit the stage. Um, We're not into head coverings. I'm not saying anything more than wearing a veil this morning. So this morning, Real Life Church, I'm going to talk to you about the veil. It'd be weird, wouldn't it, if I said this morning, Real Life Church, I'm going to talk to you about the dragon or something else, and actually I'm just wearing a veil because I fancied it this morning. I'm going to talk to you about the veil, and um, when I got married, um, a very wise woman gave me some advice, and she said to me, when it comes to your mum, only fight the battles with her over the wedding that you really, really care about. Wherever possible, say yes the things that she would love to see. And I, and I logged that. I was like, okay. And now I have a funny thing about neck curtains. I hate them. I always feel like when I see them, I just feel like, why would you put that in front of a window? I am an outdoors girl. And so for me, curtains even get in the way. I like to have the outdoors in. And so windows for me should be clear And they should have very little in the way of the outdoors coming in. And veils, when I first looked at them, remind me a bit of that. I was like, why would I want to walk down the aisle uh, basically not being able to see clearly? Why would I want to um, walk down the aisle covered in this? But I didn't care about it enough to go to war. My mum really wanted, sorry mum if you're listening, my mum really wanted me to wear a veil. So in the bridal shop, I said, go on then, get me some veils, because she just kept saying, oh, it's not quite bridey enough. I had this massive dress, like a train, and, and then she got the veil, and then they clipped it in my hair, and suddenly I was like, oh my gosh, it's so bridey. I look like an actor, and I, suddenly, and I remember just kind of standing there and, and adjusting my position and being like, oh, wow, I didn't wear it over my face because I didn't want that. But I remember thinking, this will affect how I walk. I will walk down the aisle with my veil, and I will meet Stuart, and together we'll walk into our new life. I'm going to take the veil off now just, you know, for the sake of the website. Sorry, Vale. When, when a veil is pulled back, you can see more clearly. When a bride has a veil pulled back, she doesn't just see more clearly, she gets to walk with certainty into her future. It's the moment where she is unveiled and she is given Away. It is the moment where something happens for her and him where they get to step into a new life together, where they get to walk with certainty. So we're going to read from Revelation 7 and in true real life fashion, we are going to read together. It's from the NLT, so I'd either like you to read it with me off the screen or off your phone that is in the NLT. 
So it's Revelation 7, and it's verse 9 and 10. So I'm going to try and read it in the rhythm that you might read it in, all right? So after this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Oh, don't you just love that scripture? Don't you just love that picture? So the writer of the book of Revelation is John. And we are to assume that it is John the disciple who Jesus loved. We're to assume it's, it's that John. He was an old man and he was in prison at this time. So it was written about 95 years after Jesus was born. He has this dream or this vision where the risen Lord Jesus meets him and shows him all kinds of magical, incredible things, all kinds of amazing, mind-blowing things. It isn't a book that we are supposed to read and then hunt around for the signs of the end of the world. It isn't a book that we are supposed to look at literally and be literally waiting for some of the things that happen. It is a glimpse or an unveiling of a future that is to come. It is a glimpse of heaven. It is a glimpse of the new heaven and the new earth. It is God just holding back the veil slightly so we can take a good look at what heaven might be like, at what the new earth might look like. It has contained within it ingredients that we are to take note of and notice of, but it isn't that we're supposed to spend the rest of our lives looking out for the signs going, where are the 144,000? Where's the beast? Where's the dragon? What's going on with the, the earth? It isn't like that. It's a dream, a vision that is we are supposed to have unveiled to us, and then it makes us walk with certainty. This is a vision that John had of something he could see, something that Jesus was unveiling for him, something that was revealed, a little glimpse that was supposed to be there so that Christians then walk differently. When I know I'm part of a vast crowd, I walk differently when I'm in a room with 10 people or I'm starting out or I'm beginning something. When I know I'm part of a diverse crowd, I build differently here on the earth. It is supposed to affect how we walk. What we see is supposed to affect then how we walk. When it's unveiled, when it's revealed to us, it is supposed to make a difference to our life on the earth. So what I want to do is help you see a few things a little more clearly this morning. And then I would like you to walk with certainty into the things that God has got for us. Because if there is a vast crowd at the end of time, we are supposed to walk with more certainty in what God has called us to here now. We are not supposed to look around and go, oh, there's empty seats. Oh, there's only five of us. Oh, there's a we are supposed to catch hold of the vast crowd and then walk as if that is our future, as if that is our promise, as if that is our destiny. And it affects us, it will change us if we see more clearly. 
Claire and Charlotte, you're both wearing a veil. I, I messaged out a little group of people and said, if you can find a veil this morning, would you put it on? I felt really strongly God had something to say to any of the women that rocked up with a veil. So that is you two, well, and me. So shall I just claim that? No. So Claire and Charlotte, I, I'd just love you to stand where you are, please, with your veils on. Thank you so much. Claire, yours must have been easier to find than Charlotte's, yeah, because Claire just got married, so, um, and how many years have you been married, Charlotte? 17, so well done for finding that, hey, uh, 22 years, so um, I had to dust mine off. So um, I felt like God wanted to say to you that there are some new things that he has for this next season in your life some new things that he wanted this morning just to give your eyesight a quick wipe over and wanted... (laughs) Ben Senior. So we had this little joke a couple of days ago that the last time I spoke and Ben was on kids' work, they made such a racket going past. So he said, without a shadow of a doubt, I will make sure we're quiet this time. So thank you, Ben. I wish it could be Christmas every day. I like that it's you've themed it, your interruption. So what I felt like is God wanted to clean up your vision and show you some things for your future, that he wanted you with more certainty to walk into that. And I felt like there would be some new things for this next season that would require you to be able to see further than the next few weeks. So that what he wanted to do was just give you a vision that was much greater, much beyond, so that you could walk right now differently. And I felt like even this morning, he wanted you to leave with more certainty over what it looks like in the next few months. So what he wanted to do was give your eyes just a bit of salve that belongs to him that he says, okay, this is what it should look like. What he wanted you to do is be really brave and put down what you see and say to him, okay, I'm ready to see what you see and I want to walk with more certainty into that. So I'm just going to pray that really quickly if that's okay. If you're near them, just stretch out your hands. So Lord Jesus, I just I want to pray for Charlotte. I want to pray for Claire. I want to ask that even this morning you would take some of that salve that you are so good at putting on people's eyes and helping them see much more clearly. I want to ask that there would be courage and bravery that would hit their lives and alter their steps. That as you show them what the future looks like, I pray you would give them the courage to step into it, the courage to walk forward with you. And I pray there would be a grace on you, Charlotte and Claire, to take hold of the things that Jesus has for you. I feel like both of you sometimes question um, whether or not it's okay for you to have all that you have and that maybe you should hang back, maybe you should wait. And I feel like Jesus is saying, you come now. You come now and you take hold of the things that he has for you. So I pray for real courage to be on your lives and for you to be women who walk in the things he would have you walk in. For you to see much more clearly what he has for your future and for it to affect today. Jesus' name, amen, amen. 
I want to pull out a few things from this revelation, a couple of verses, and then I want us to leave this place with certainty of some of the things that God has asked of us. So first of all, I want to say there is a vast crowd. There is a vast crowd that no one can number. And in in Revelation 7, there's a really interesting bit where he hears the 144,000 at the start of the chapter. But then what he sees is a vast crowd that no one can number. So what he hears is one thing, and then what he sees is something that is just even more immense. We are supposed to see what he sees. We are supposed to read Revelation and catch hold of it and think, I see that Jesus. I see the great multitude, a vast crowd that no one can number standing before the throne. I see them. We are supposed to see that. We are not supposed to look around and go, it's a little bit small. There are some empty seats. There are only six of us at Life's Group. There are only 10 of us at the prayer meeting. We are supposed to stand in those places knowing that we are part of a vast crowd. Even on the earth, we are part of a vast crowd. So in our, in our little pockets all around the globe, we might number 100 here, 100 there, 1,000 there, 500 there. We are part of a vast crowd crowd that no one can number. So even when a census is taken, even a guesstimate is made over who actually is a Christian, who's not a Christian, who says they're a Christian, who's not. So even the numbers that we work with that say there are two billion Christians on the earth, who knows? Who knows how many people have given their life to Christ? Who knows how many people follow him with their whole hearts? What I know is we are part of a vast crowd that no one can number. And when I know that, I can walk with certainty no matter what size of the crowd I am a part of locally or I am a part of in my living room or in my lounge We can walk with certainty that we are a part of something that is vast, but we can also ask with certainty others to come and look in. Because it's not my job to save people. It's not my job to bring salvation to the earth and gather the vast. My job is just to say, come and take a look. Come and take a look. And what I watched with Levi on Friday, uh, we bought a zoo. I don't know whether you've seen that film. Great film. We bought a zoo come out of a great book and a great story about a guy who bought a zoo. But one of the things he says is this. He says, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage, just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery, and I promise you something great will come of it. Often what we need as Christians is 20 seconds of insane courage courage or bravery. Often what we need is just a moment where we just go, do you know what? I am part of this great crowd that no one can number. Why don't you come and take a look? And I know that in the current climate, lots of people are like, let's get church out there. Let's get church over there. Let's do it in the high street. Let's do it in Acosta. Let's do it here. What I know is when this vast crowd is gathered in this room and rooms like this All over the place, something happens. When the community of God's people are gathered together and they worship together, something happens. When we invite people in to take a look at it, they have an option then 
to be a part of a vast crowd. They have an option to be a part of something that God is building on the earth, whether they like it or not. That God will have a vast crowd that stand before the throne. We'll be part of that. If you are saved here this morning, you're part of that. But you can also invite others in to take a look at it. It is a very simple thing to do. It requires 20 seconds of insane bravery to say, why don't you come to church too? Why don't you come and take a look? Why don't you come and see? I've decided in this season, I'm going to apply the 20 seconds of insane bravery. And I'm just going to start saying to people, because I reckon it won't take more than 20 seconds to say, I'm part of this great church. It's called Real Life. Why don't you come and take a look? I reckon I could get that out in 20 seconds. And I reckon I could do it before my head tells me not to. It's not up to me who gets saved. It's not up to me who God calls to be washed and wearing the right robes and waving the branches. I can say, come and take a look. I can say, why don't you take a peek at the vast crowd and see if you want to be a part of it. I can do that. So I want to encourage you guys to think like that, to think, actually, why don't I let people come and take a peek at what's already on, at what is already being gathered and what God so clearly loves. And we will put on all the other stuff around it. We will keep on doing that. But unless they hear the gospel, unless they take a glimpse, unless they have the veil pulled back, they'll they'll just think we're nice people that like to be in coffee shops, be out on the high street, be around them. Unless they get a taste of this community, they will not have a chance to even consider, would I be interested in their God? So it's a vast crowd. It's an everywhere crowd. It's diverse. And when we see this more clearly... We walk with certainty. What I know is when we stand before the throne, it will be a vast crowd of people from every tribe and every people group and every nation and every tongue. That's what I know because I read that in the Bible. Diversity is not a current issue. Diversity has always been an issue because God loves diversity. You just, if you look around at creation, if you look around at the sea of faces here, just turn around now, have a little look around, and you will see that God loves diversity. Our culture doesn't get to shape that or define that or tell us what that looks like. The Bible does. The Bible shows us, it pulls back the veil and it says, Let me tell you, this crowd is full of people from all over the place, from everywhere. This crowd is diverse. This crowd are men and women, young and old. This crowd have different languages, different people groups. This crowd is beautiful. It's one of the things that churches should absolutely excel in, that when we look out, we should see a sea of faces that all look different and have all come from different places, but have this one thing in common, and that is we are all about Jesus. We're all about making his name known. We're all about making his name great. We're all about having a relationship with Jesus, aren't we? We're all about becoming like him, following the model of Jesus, and changing our world with Jesus. We are 
all about Jesus. That is what unites us. That is what brings us together. That is why anybody can sit in this room. Because actually the ground at the foot of the cross is level. We None of us get to sit there because of what we've done or what we contribute or we bring. We're all here because of Jesus. So this crowd, more than any crowd on the earth, must be diverse because everybody must be able to come. And what I'd love us to be looking at and working out is who sits around my table? Who's in my life? Who's in my life group? Who's in my spheres of influence? And do, do they look different to me? There's like in churches, what you don't want is churches full of people that all look the same, talk the same, act the same. Because actually then we've missed something about what heaven is like. We are supposed to be a glimpse, an unveiling, a little taste of what heaven looks like. And sometimes to look like that, we have to be intentional. We have to be certain this is what I've been called to. So this is how I will walk. This is how I will gather. This is what I will do. This is who I will invite to sit around my table. And I will say yes to people that sometimes make me feel uncomfortable because they're not like me. Because they don't talk like I talk. Wear what I wear. Eat what I eat. And I love this church because when I look around, I see loads of diversity. It's beautiful. Loads of different people Men and women, young and old. I see people who've come from very different backgrounds. I even love that you all dress really differently. It's uh, it's not nice walking into a church and looking around and thinking, oh my gosh, there's a uniform here. I literally leave churches like that. I just think, oh no. I love looking around and seeing all the different things that people wear and that people like and do. I love that. We should not become clones There should be diversity among us, but we will need to be intentional about it. We will need to walk with certainty and we will need to grow up in this. It means that I might need to be uncomfortable sometimes and I might need to include those who don't share my values or don't do what I do. It might mean that I need to get over some things. That's all part of our growing up real life church. That's all part of us growing up in this next season. It's an all about Jesus crowd and that makes my heart sing. So who are they standing before? They're standing before the throne and they're standing before the Lamb. And I love, it's another one in Revelation. You should look out for this. Any pairings where, where John says, I heard this and then I saw this. So there's a great bit in Revelation where he says, I heard the Lion of Judah roar. I saw him looking like a lamb who'd been slain. You're like, well, that doesn't make any sense, does it? You're like, if you hear a lion, surely what you're going to see is a lion, like you don't go to the safari park and hear a roar and then drive around and go, look at the cute lamb. That's just not what happens. If you hear a lion, you see a lion. There's something that John is trying to tell us. If he hears 144,000, but then he can see a vast crowd that no one can number, you're like, John, you just said how many were there because you heard it. No, no, no. What he sees is supposed to capture our hearts and we're supposed to see it. What we see here is the lamb, the lamb of God. What we know that what that means is the sacrifice was one, 
It was all done. When we see the lamb in Revelation, when we see the lamb in heaven, what we understand is that the cross and the empty tomb have done it. What we know is that that is what was victorious. And what you see in Revelation is much more of the lamb than the lion. It's much more of a sacrificial savior. It's much more of the blood that was shed and the man who is standing now with the holes in his hands and the crown of thorns on his head. See, we can walk with certainty into our future because of what the lamb did because it is all about Jesus. And I think we have to fight like crazy for that one. See, those, those people standing in front of the throne are waving palm branches and they're wearing white robes. And the palm branches are like when Jesus came into town on a donkey and they're laying down palm branches and they're welcoming in their king. They're waving something out of victory that's victorious, that their, their king is there. They're dressed in white because they've been completely washed clean. If you're standing before the lamb, you have been completely washed clean. You, there is victory there and there's purity there as you stand before the lamb. And in identity issues, if you make it about yourself, you will not stand so it does not surprise me that we live in a world that is falling apart with identity issues. Because actually, until you stand in front of the lamb, until you've had your clothes washed white, until you're holding those palm branches, you will never understand who you are. When you make your identity about me, look at me, look at how great I am, look when I try and find my inner well-being and my inner strength and my inner, you will never stand. And that when I look around at our world right now, what I see is lots of people who cannot stand. They either cannot stand to see themselves in the mirror or they cannot stand up. They cannot cope with who they are. And you'll see that all over. The, I see people dropping like flies. And I don't see them dropping like flies over lots of issues. I see an issue. It's this one. Who am I? And until I get that who I am is who I am before Jesus, who I am before my God and my maker, I'm literally not going to stand. And if you're a Christian, what you're supposed to stand before is the Lamb. You're not supposed to stand before yourself thinking, look at me, aren't I great? Haven't I got what it takes? Have you seen me? We're supposed to stand before the lamb. We're supposed to acknowledge that it is him and him alone who saves me. It's him and him alone who sustains me. It's him and him alone who calls me. When we make our identity about anything else, we will drop like flies. And I watch Christians doing it over and over again. We're trialing um, the grace course in um, one of the daytime life groups. I said one of them. We only have one. That must have been prophetic. One of the daytime life groups. Oh, yeah. I'm part of a vast crowd that no one can number. So in one of the daytime life groups, there is only one, um, we are trialing the grace course that comes out of freedom in Christ. And um, we did our first week last week. And it was just so beautiful to look again at Jesus and what he's done for us. I literally left the room thinking, oh, 
my gosh, like who Jesus is and what he has done for us is outrageous. And if I can grasp that, get hold of that, if I can see that clearly, I definitely will walk with certainty. If you are struggling with your identity, it's not about you, it's about him. You need to get yourself in front of the lamb. You need to understand what the Bible says about the lamb. And then when I am caught up in him, when I have captured him, Sarah, for the first one of the Grace Course, wore glasses that she'd scribbled all over. It was brilliant. She answered the door with all this stuff on, but these glasses that she'd scribbled all over. And she said, sometimes we, when we look and we don't understand who he is and what he's done for us, it is like we're walking around with glasses with scribbles all over them. She picked up another pair that were clean, put them on. When we see Jesus more clearly, we can walk with certainty. That means we need to be those who are found in our Bibles. We need to be those that sing songs that are full of truth. We need to be those that are speaking truth, declaring truth, having it all over our homes. And I know we bang on about this, but I have to be honest, it's a drum we're going to bang until Jesus takes us home. It's so important that we are men and women who know the truth and the truth sets us free. It's so important in a world that is screaming at us from every direction that we understand who God has called us to be, that we understand who the Lamb is and which throne we stand in front of. So I don't stand in front of a throne that's got me sitting on it or a crown on my head. I don't look in a mirror and think that is what I'm all about. I stand in front of the throne that has God sitting on it and the lamb. And I sometimes stand there and sometimes kneel there. Sometimes cry there. Sometimes dance and sing there. But that is what I stand before. And that is what I stand no matter what is going on around me. And that makes me walk differently. That pulls my shoulders back. That means when I look in the mirror at myself, I see things differently. That means when I'm out and about, that means when the voices come into my head, I go back to the lamb, I go back to that throne. The moment I go and stand in front of myself, I'm in trouble. I'm dropping like flies like everybody else. We need to be very clear that this affects Christians as much as it affects those who do not know Jesus. This is not an issue that we need to educate the world about. We need to get it in here. We need to understand who I am before the throne is who I am. That's it. Who I am before Jesus is who I am. And we need to get that clear. I know no better way of doing it than reading about it, talking about it, singing about it, and getting it everywhere. So I'm going to encourage you to remind yourself who he is. And then tuck yourself in on that. So that's all I do. I, I, I simply say, I'm with him. I'm with him. And whatever he says, I, I, I'm that. And so when I hit heaven, I'm going to be like, I'm with him. And whatever he says, I'm with that. And so no matter what the world is saying, I'm saying what he says. I, I've got to do a little bit of teaching with real life youth on um, sex and relationships. And it, like, I, I need to hold my hand up. I am scared to death of speaking on it because I know what the world screams around and I know what Jesus says. It, like, they're, they're not even, they're, they're even going to be close. I know that when I stick my head out on that one, it is going to be painful. But, but I'm with him. And I'm, I'm going to say what he says. 
And I'm pretty sure that some of what gets recorded about that, some of what gets passed on about that, I'm pretty sure we're going to be in trouble. So I'm with him and I'm going to say what he says. And if that means that, that what he says is going to get us in a bit of trouble, okay. Uh, I already know that I've got to take a deep breath and go, okay. What he says about sex and relationships is what we believe. And, it, and it's right. <laughs> it's good. And, and so I'm with him. We're a worshipping crowd. So this crowd before the throne was a worshipping crowd. And when we see this more clearly, we walk with certainty. Forever, he will be glorified and forever he will be lifted high. When people say, oh, is heaven really boring? Are we just going to sing? Oh my gosh. There will be nothing about heaven and the new earth that will be boring. It will, like, there is nothing about it that will be boring it will be glorious. Even, even John's glimpse of it, it's wild, isn't it? Like Revelation is wild. Even just that slight pulling back of the veil is wild. It's, it's, it's incredible. The new heaven and the new earth will be like this. And we need to walk with certainty in this. We are worshippers We're Christians. We're disciples. We're followers. We are first and foremost worshippers. We're called to be worshippers, but worship is a war. It's a battle. The reason we know it's a battle, because in church life, the most kickback you get is about leaders and worship. Always. It's too noisy. I don't like the songs. I don't like that worship leader. That's not my favorite one. It's too long. It's boring. It's too quiet. It's too noisy. It's too, it's too whatever. It's a war worship. It's a battle worship. It is what we will do forever. And it is all about him, which is why it's such a battle. Because all of our comments to do with worship are not about whether he's glorified. All of our comments to do with worship, let's be honest, are about us. Not my style, not my song, not my, 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 my not about me. It, 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 it's, it's that, isn't it? And it, the reason it's a battle is because that's what we've got to fight. We've got to fight against style. We've got to fight against volume. There'll be people in the room that find it too loud. There'll be people that find it too quiet. There'll be people that find it too fast. Too many new songs, too many old songs. You literally, is one of those areas where you cannot please. It's not even that you can't please all the people all the time. You, you can't please anyone. Because actually it isn't about you. And, and I know that feels harsh for me to say that quite so bluntly, but it just isn't. The worship of the saints is for the saviour. So when you say, I don't like that song, I'm not keen on that worship leader, well whoop-de-doo. Actually, it isn't about you. It's not for you. Does Jesus love our singing? Probably sometimes, yeah. Does he love our songs? Probably sometimes, yeah. Does he love our hearts when we come to worship him for sure? Does he love it when we come with hearts that say, that's not my favorite. There's a few songs we sing that are not my favorite songs. When I say to Jesus, you know this is not my favorite song, but you are my favorite. Does he love that? Yeah. Does he love it? 
when we're in the room, when we're singing the songs, when we're together in worship, I nearly said, hell yeah. (laughs) He loves it when we sing, when we worship, when we come together, when we have unity of heart over what this is about. We are a worshipping people and will always be a worshipping people. Whether you're on the stage, sitting there, in your kitchen, in the car, out and about, we are worshippers first and foremost. And when we worship, what he is interested in is our hearts. What he's saying is, are you with me? Are you following me? Are you for me? Are you together in this? Do you like the song? Yeah, okay. You'll like some of them, you won't like others. Do you like... The worship leader, you like some of them. You won't like them all. Do you like their style? Do you like what? Do you love Jesus? Would you sing whatever song, as long as it was biblical? Would you make your lives all about him? Would you lift your hands? Would you lift your voices? Would you lift your souls wherever you are? your kitchen, your car, corporately together in life groups. Will you turn up? Will you sing? And will you do that forever? When we see more clearly what that is all about, we can walk more certainly, with certainty. We can walk into the things that God has got for us. We need to grow up in this real life church. And that's one of our things for this season. We've got to grow up in worship. I want to hear more about, does that glorify Jesus? Does that give him honor? Are we lifting up his name? I want to hear more about that song. I find that all over the Bible. I love it. Let's sing that more. Let's get into that more. I found this treasure in the Bible. Could we write a song about it? Could we? I want to hear more of that. For a people that grow up, worship looks different. We understand it's a battle. We get our armor on and we say, let's do this thing. Let's worship the King of Kings. Why? Because he is totally worth it. Even if I'm not that keen on the song. Or the worship leader. Or the volume. Or the room we're sitting in. Or the snacks you've provided. Or the lack of drinks. Or the whatever. I'm going to go for him And that's, I believe that when we see that picture, it affects how we walk today. And it certainly silences the grumbles. It certainly deals with our hearts. It makes us go, do you know what? This is all about him. Let's get focused on that. Let's get dressed. Let's get ready. Let's go for it. And if you want to shape what we sing, listen to good stuff and pass it on. Say, listen to this. Try this. Get involved in what it looks like. Okay, this is me. I can't quite see the clock. Is it 10 to 12? Yeah, this is me landing the plane. Lastly, we are a roaring crowd. The crowd before the throne are roaring something. And they're roaring this. They're not roaring this, but they are. They're roaring it's all about Jesus. They're roaring that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. You could sing that, couldn't you? Salvation belongs to our God. You're singing it now, aren't you? 
Yeah. Belongs to our God. Oh, it's lovely, isn't it? It belongs to our God. It's all about Jesus. That's the roar of the great crowd in heaven. That's what they're all roaring. They're all proclaiming. They're all singing. They are saying, we are all about him and his salvation. They are a people who are saved and they are roaring it. It should be our roar on the earth too. We are saved from eternal destruction and brought into eternal life with our Saviour and our Maker. We are the most blessed people on planet Earth. We are the most blessed people on planet Earth. Whether there is a fuel crisis, whether we, our mortgage goes up ridiculous amounts, whether our heating goes up ridiculous, whether we have much or we have little, we are the most blessed people on planet Earth and we should be roaring about it because our future has a roar and the roar is this, salvation belongs to our God. That's our roar. If you want to know how to be well, salvation belongs to our God. If you want to know how to be whole, salvation belongs to our God. It's all about Jesus is our roar on the earth. And I wonder if people spend time with you what they would say your roar was or your rant was. So what is your rant? If people hang around you, what do you roar about? What do you rant about? Is it anything to do with Jesus? Is it anything to do with salvation belonging to our God? Or do you have some pet hates and some pet rants that you go on about everyone knows about? Well, it's uncomfortable in here this morning, isn't it? I even feel uncomfortable. I'm like, I've got a few rants. I am a ranter and a roarer. Aurora. So I, I am, I'm not, I'm Melanie. So I am a ranter and I roar. Uh, it's part of my personality. I'm trying to hold back my roar this morning. I am a ranter and I roar. What would people say I roar about? Would they say I roar about Jesus and his salvation? Or do I go on and on about the things I don't like, the things I would not do, the things that I can't stand, the leader that I can't stand, the things that they're... What do I roar about? What do I rant about? I want to encourage us in this season. Worship team, if you would like to come and join me. And when I say me, I will leave the stage. So come and join me, worship team, as I leave. What is your roar? What is your rant? The vast crowd that no one can number, that is diverse and beautiful, are all about Jesus. That's our future. But it should affect our right now. It should affect how we walk. It should affect how we talk. What is our roar, Real Life Church? It should be all about Jesus. Our roar should be all about Jesus. At the end of your life, what people should comment on you, they should say, I know that they were all about Jesus and, and all this other stuff. So I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to ask you to be men and women that take those 20 seconds of insane bravery and go for the things that God has asked you to do. I'm going to ask that you allow him to pull back the, the veil so that you can see more clearly and you can walk with certainty. 
We are part of a vast crowd. It is a diverse crowd. It is a crowd that is all about Jesus. And we have a roar. Some of you rant and waste way too much energy on things that do not matter. He matters. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Worship is our way. Let's worship him. Let's honor him. Let's try and make our worship of him all about Jesus. Let's try and make our roar and our rant all about Jesus. Let's try and invite those people in to take a look at our Jesus. Amen.